everyone. We are here for the Scots We Hate podcast with Karen Campbell. Karen, thank you for coming along. My pleasure. And we're here mainly to talk about your latest novel, uh, This Is Where I Am. Um, but to my shame, I haven't read any of your previous books. Um, okay. Proof of Life, Shadow Play, I have now written them down. After the Fire and The Twilight Tree. Twilight Time. Twilight Time, that's my writing. You can't read your own writing. <laughs> tut, tut. Oh dear, sack. Um, but are they crime novels, I take it, are they? No. No. Excellent. <laughs> well, I just looked at the covers. No, exactly, exactly. This, well, that's this interesting. Has so, did been you... my, my, my um, dilemma since I started writing. Okay. I, I wrote those books um, because I used to be a police officer and right. I wanted to write some contemporary fiction about people that happened to be cops. And I felt that most of the literature that was out there to do with the police was very much you know, focusing on the job that they did and not about their personal lives and not about the sort of variety and diversity of people that there are in, in mm-hmm. the police, um, that they're not all, you know, alcoholic divorcees that are, like, you know, chained to the job sort of thing. And I just wanted to write uh, um, three or four books that tried to give that that slant on policing and also look at issues like, you know, what kind of policing does society want? Things like, should the police be armed? What happens when terrorism attacks like Glasgow Airport, you know, bring things to our front door and, and then the police react in a way that's supposedly protective of society but actually becomes more restrictive, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. I mean, they're obviously all set round about the world of the police but n- nobody in them are, are detectives, they're uniformed cops uh-huh. um, and it, they're really about those people's lives and part of that is, yeah. you know, the detection of crime but of I don't know any cop that follows, you know, a Machiavellian moustache twisting mastermind and, <laughs> and lives, sleeps, eats and breathes the job. Yeah. You know, it's the sort of thing that you, you try and not bring home with you, mm-hmm. otherwise it impairs your ability to do the job the next day, you know, yeah. if you're greeting over what happened the day before. So that was basically what I wanted to write. Um, and, you know, obviously you want your books published mm-hmm. and you have to make a judgment call and I'm delighted my books were published, but... When it comes down to selling them, it's ex-police officer books about the police, you know, and and that's exactly where the, that's where the, the the jackets come from. Yeah, but yeah. lots of people have have read them and, and feel that the jackets aren't reflective. Sometimes in a negative way, you know, yeah. people that are saying, uh, you know, I, I got one review and, and it was um, there's pages in this book where people are just talking, <laughs> no chases, nothing's happening, and someone else, it's all in Scottish. People need to be warned. That warned, yeah, okay, yeah. yes. Um, so, you know, in that sense, I think it's 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 maybe not great for people that are into sort of who done thriller type things because those books yeah. definitely aren't, and equally, people that might like reading them yeah. probably wouldn't pick them up. So it, it it was difficult, but at the same time, I was pleased to get published, and they're still my words between the covers, of and course. you know, my publishers were good and they they did a really good job um, selling them, etc. So, but. Yeah, I, I, that, when people then ask me about the new book, and oh, it's such a change, and I think, well, it's not really, because yeah. it's, it's still about social issues, it's still about Glasgow. It's just there's, there's no police in it. Still. Yeah. Well, it's, it's so interesting, because I, as I said, um, was in um, uh, Waterston the other day and saw the, the um, I think it was the buy one, get one free or something like mm-hmm. that, and saw your name and your books, and I went, okay, that looks, that's looks, and you shouldn't judge by book by its cover, of course, but that's what bookshops do. I know. They're sticking I know. out and do that. That's really interesting. Um, because, you know, the kind of narrative you have in your head is, oh, you've done your police books and now you move on, but it wasn't like that at all. No. It was just, 
these were things you wanted to write about in yeah. a different set of characters. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I, I was a cop at a young age. I was 20. So quite an impressionable stage of my life when I didn't think I was going to be a writer. Um, you're getting to go behind closed doors and into people's lives and into worlds that, that you probably wouldn't normally see. And it's almost like, you know, lifting the carpet of Glasgow or the store or yes, something to see what's yes. underneath. Um, and also seeing people that are, you know, your parents' age or even your grandparents' age in difficult situations and how the sort of human psyche responds to crisis and trauma <coughs> and, and how you respond when you're the youngest person in the room mm -hmm. and you're expected to be the, the figure of authority mm -hmm. and the, the pivot who's going to sort, sort out all of these issues and problems. So to not write about that would be mad because there was so much yeah. good good material. I don't, I don't mean in terms of, you know, stealing incidents that I dealt with to write about. What I mean is just seeing such a variety of, of human nature exposed in a city that I thought I knew. Yeah. But when you put on a uniform, it just becomes entirely different. Because that uniform, it's opening doors for you, yeah. but it's also putting up resistance and people change how they respond to you. They see the uniform, they don't always even see what gender you are. They, they just see this... They make a judgement. You're either a beacon they go towards or a thing they recoil yeah, yeah, from. Yeah. And you can't hide either. You're very visible. So I think for a writer, all of these things, um, if you're interested in, in how the human mind works and how people respond in, in drama and crisis, which is what a lot of writing's about, of it, you know, it, it was sort of food and drink for, for me to, to be able to have that, to use it. So you, you said you joined the police at quite a young age. What was the... the this is just something you always wanted to do? Or was this... Um... It's more I didn't know what I wanted to yeah. do. <laughs> um, I had done English Lit at, at uni, at Glasgow Uni. Okay. Um, and I was casting around for something to do. I knew I wanted a job that had variety, that wasn't nine to five, that, that I wasn't sort of committing to a life in the bank or an office. Yeah. Definitely, from a sort of feminist standpoint, I wanted a job where I was liberated to you know, work freely and, and not be limited. And, mm -hmm. and I knew the police was like that. My my dad um, had been in the police for many mm -hmm. years and my mum had actually been a, a cop um, ah, right, when she okay. was younger. So I had a, a quite sort of strong knowledge of, of what the job entailed. And to be honest, it was more a case of, I don't know what else to do. Mm. And I, I know quite a few people that have perhaps become teachers because that's what their parents yeah. did. Or, you know, and, and I don't ever think it was my dream career, but it yeah. was it was some, it was a, a stable, interesting job um, because as you say, it, it, it carries with it certain stereotypes or people have immediate reactions, but I suppose if you've been brought up in a family where you understand the kind of individuals yeah. behind the uniform... It's yeah, uh -huh. and, and then you, you know, what, what the real people were like when the uniform came off. And I think, again, with my writing, that's what I wanted to sort of explore is, you know, you don't get put in a cupboard at the end of your shift. You, yeah. you go home and you live in the society that you police, so it's not, you, you know... You don't want it to be a, a, a negative impact that you have on the world. And, and obviously, most people meet the police in times of, of crisis or trauma or when they're being told to do something yeah. they want to do, which nobody likes. So I, I had a different attitude, I suppose. Um, and there was also an element of, I think, you know, when you're 19, 20, you're idealistic and you want to make a difference. Yeah. It seemed to me the sort of job that you, you could actually sort of roll up your sleeves and, and you know, get involved in, in society's ills. Um, so you did that, and then you did the creative writing course at Glasgow. Was oh, that, that, that was quite a while after. Well, well quite a while after. So, yeah. Oh, I see. Okay. That so was... you weren't in the police for that? No, I was only in the police for about five and a half years, mm. and then I had my first daughter. Yeah. And at that time, there wasn't anything like job share or part-time, and my husband was a cop, so the sort of logistics of 
you know, trying to work shifts and, and balance mm-hmm. childcare and things. Um, and as I say, if it had been my dream career, I probably would have been more, you know, I would have found a way to make yeah, it work. Sure. But it was quite a convenient excuse to say, oh, you know, well, I'd love to have stayed, but... I've done the time. And actually I was thinking, Phew, I got away with that. <laughs> Nobody discovered I was a crap Well, it's cop. interesting because there's uh, two policemen in the This Is Where I Am. And what's, very briefly. Very briefly, yeah. But what did strike me, even though they are in it briefly, was that they avoided this, the whole good cop, bad cop. They were kind of, they were, you know, they, they, it, and this was before I knew you'd been in the police, but they mm. had, um, it, it struck me that they weren't, they were real people, you know, that, and yeah. they were trying to understand the situation here. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you say that people make snap judgments on seeing a police uniform. Well, people certainly make snap judgments when you talk about refugees, mm. or you talk, you know, which, which is what the book is partly about, you yes. know. Um, so why did you decide to, uh, to write this book? Why did you decide that that was a, a, a subject and a topic you wanted to cover? I think with all the books so far, there's just been a sort of itch that's been mm. irking me. Um, and, and also you cast around looking for what your next idea is going to be. Um, and I knew I didn't want to write any more about the police. Um, and partly as well, personal circumstances. My husband was doing voluntary work with the Scottish Refugee right. Council after he left the police. Um, and he was coming home with, with different stories. Um, just, it made me sad and angry and, and also quite proud of, of mm-hmm. you know, just how Glaswegians basically had mostly, I would say, taken refugees to their hearts Absolutely. as opposed to, um, you know, demonise them that, that maybe happens elsewhere. Um, and he was just doing volunteer work on a sort of case desk. People were coming in, you know, knowing it was a refugee council. And it might just be that they, they had a letter that they couldn't understand and that somebody had to translate it for them and it might be telling them that actually your application's been refused. Um, or it could be good news or it might be somebody that's got problems with housing or just needs an advocate or somebody just to, you know, talk mm-hmm. them through and, and help them out. Um, and then he also started doing voluntary mentoring work. Right. He was mentoring one-to-one with um, a person who had, by this time, been given refugee status, so mm-hmm. they weren't an asylum seeker anymore. They'd been yeah. told that they, they could stay. And, you know, the, the doors of the city that were close to you start to sort of creak open. And, you, you know, when you're waiting for a decision to be made, you're mm-hmm. not allowed to have a job. You've got to sort mm-hmm. of live on vouchers and, you know, very much in limbo. Yeah. Um, and you can't really put down roots. And then when you're told, oh, no, you can now stay, even if it's for a limited period, it gives you that bit of stability. <coughs> mm-hmm. um, and this scheme, which has now stopped through yeah. lack of finance, unfortunately, um, was just a way of helping someone to integrate and basically having a, a local person as their buddy. Yeah. And, you know, writers are kind of vampires as well. And I thought that would be a good structure for a story because in the book and in real life with this scheme, you, you meet once a month over the course of a year and you take the mentee to different parts of the city. Yeah. You know, as a kind of cultural awareness, but also things like the bad is to show, yeah. you know, just... Glasgow colour and and you know maybe some not so good bits as well and just to give someone a kind of orientation in, in the city and I thought that could work well as a novel so it was that kind of combination of, of clinical thinking oh that structure would be yeah. good and the genuine you know Dougie would come home and say oh this guy had been a volunteer for seven years at the Refugee Council didn't come in this morning got dawn raided and that's him away and then he was telling me about you know historic cases where basically it sounded like people's files had just been lost mm. and then finally somebody gets to the bottom of the entry puts a stamp on saying denied and and this yeah. person off they go so those 
those things were like, ah, there must be human stories in this, yeah. I want to write about it, and, and that's what I did. That's interesting, because um, one of my questions was the, the worries about writing, you know, about such a situation, because people, you know, have prejudices on both sides, and, you know, and, and I... I, and I think what you do is, is is avoid them, but it seems to me like you you could actually turn to your husband and say, "Is that you know realistic, or would you do that?" I don't no, know. I I didn't. I've tried that with with all my writing. Is that you have an idea? I like to go with it, see if I can get on my own, and then if I feel that I need a bit of research, like some of the bits in the book, um, I've got um. My niece is a psychologist and mm -hmm. I sort of spoke to her about child psychology and things like that because I don't know anything about that and there's a little girl in the story that is yeah. obviously very traumatised and, you know, and I, I didn't want to write an awful lot about that but I wanted to make sure it was right what I was seeing in terms of, of the approach. Um, but I kind of just do that as and when I need it and, and with the refugee stuff, I I spoke to some refugees myself because mm -hmm. um, it has to be, you know, I think if, if you... If you get your information sort of third and fourth hand, it's never as, as good as mm -hmm. if you can speak to somebody Definitely. first hand. Yeah, so, I, understand that. I mean, the Refugee Council were very good at putting me in touch with people. Um, and and I didn't, again, I've never wanted to appropriate people's real stories because I don't think that's right. I think yeah. it's lazy writing yeah, yeah. and there's just something... Immoral is too strong a word, but, but uh, they're, they're not my stories yes. to tell. Yeah. So I was more interested in getting the sort of sense of confusion right mm -hmm. and, and the, the sense of difference. And, mm -hmm. you know, I can imagine what it must feel like to, to be a refugee and leave everything behind, but I'm, I'm never going to be that person. Yeah. So, and I, I didn't want to drag people's stories out of them and make them cry yeah. just like oh that's really good yeah so it was more things like um you know somebody explaining to me how how the cold was freezing the blood inside their fingers mm -hmm. and, and they'd never felt such extreme cold or getting terribly upset when somebody casually at college moaned about going up to see their mum that night because their mum their whole family don't exist anymore yeah. that place doesn't exist and you know how little casual things like you can be stoic most of the time and just be moving forward and then a wee thing a like small that thing tips you over the edge yeah so and I don't think if I just asked Doogie what he thought that I would have got that because yeah. I, I had in my head the sorts of things I was looking for but the main thing is you just let people talk and mm -hmm. um, yeah so you know I, the characters in the book aren't based on anyone Right. They're entirely fictional. Um, That's interesting. But the, the sort of sense of displacement that a refugee feels, I hope I've got right. it as, as near as, as I could. Did you feel the, the, the mentor in, in, in the book is, is Deborah? Yeah. And, you know, she is trying... What I love about the book particularly is this clash of cultures where there's such a, a kind of... Honesty and trying to be polite when actually you're not understanding each other. There's a great dynamic there where they're trying to communicate as best they can, and I'm actually getting very frustrated. But both are from a background where they say, "Well, no, I, I shouldn't really let that show until they get to know each yes. other well enough to do it." And it's about it's about friendship for me. It was about yeah, friendship definitely. and a growing friendship uh, and an unlikely one, perhaps. Mm. But did you feel when you were talking to uh, the people that you interviewed that there was? Confusion is the wrong word, but there were things that you didn't understand about each other's worlds, or maybe they didn't because you were interviewing them. You know, they weren't exactly interviewing you back. But did you did you find that? I think yeah, possibly. I, I did an event recently down in Liverpool, and um, it was mostly refugees at, at that event. 
and I was talking about the book and the characters and um, one chap in the audience who, who was a refugee asked me um, did Deborah and Abdi mind me taking their stories and writing about them because although I I just assumed people would realise this was a book it was fictional and, wow. and obviously I hadn't explained that enough and I'd mentioned talking yeah. to refugees so he had just assumed that the, the book was actually true and yeah. it was their, their story I mean I don't think you'd read it it was just it was my oh, fault okay. for not okay, explaining it probably um, but that made me think have I ever really explained that this is a made up story that I'm writing and I'm just getting you know pointers from people do you feel you have to that's an interesting because I, I it didn't cross my mind that it was anything but a fiction mm. but then it, the, the questions start, you know start to think well how did you do the research off it and all of those things but um, I think yeah, it I matters you would mind wouldn't you I would imagine yeah well I think it matters if, if you're trying to write about a subject that is current and contemporary I think you want it to be authentic to some extent mm. Mm. I don't. I don't necessarily mean rooted in fact, because you know the good thing is you can take something that's real and, and write around that. But you don't want to skew it in a way that it shouldn't be. If that makes sense, like I, yeah. I don't know if I'm, I'm explaining myself well, but I, I don't like the idea of being a tourist with your writing. Yes. I think if you're going to approach a story, whatever it is, you, you have well, to get a bit grubby and a bit in there and, and even if it's a bit unpleasant try and make that bit as real I understand that completely and I think um, a, a mistake that some people maybe make when they're writing books where there are scenes which are very difficult um, to put yourself into the shoes mm. you know I'm not saying you know you take it, I think it avoids sensationalism and I think the way that you, that you did that was by having um, and of unreliable memories is the way I thought about yeah. it. That it, what actually happened wasn't clear in there. No, because your brain only lets bits yeah, come in, doesn't it? However much you can cope with at a time, and, and, and that's what I was trying to do. Yeah, well, I think some people might have tried to have the, you know, the, in three D, if you like, yeah. which far too much. Yeah. Um, when you were writing uh, books set in the world of police, did anyone that you previously worked in come along and go, "Yeah, that's me." People think they're in books all the time. <laughs> People that know you think... My mum thought I'd written something about my dad in one of my books, which wasn't true. It was a particularly grumpy old bugger of a superintendent. And mum said, did you have to be so rude about your father? <laughs> which, and it genuinely, it genuinely wasn't. That's it, more about you. It, exactly, that is what I said. Um, so I think that happens more than, than you would imagine it does. But... Mm. Um, Anyone that I'd worked with in the place that I'd got in touch, it was to see how much they'd enjoyed and how refreshing it was to feel it was real and, you know, it was a, like a world that, that they could understand and relate to. Um, but with this book, um, I, don't, I don't know if, if, you know, every refugee's got a personal experience and don't... Yeah, no, everyone's and I never set out to make this a book about what it feels like to be a refugee no, written no. today. No. I just wanted to write a human story based around... I suppose I kept thinking, what if this was me? What mm. if... And, and what if this person you walk past in the street every day, what if they were a doctor or a lawyer in their, their home and they're reduced to sitting on a street with a sign saying hungry and homeless? Mm. And, and, and I was thinking about things like language and, you know, when you're abroad and you... you, you, you don't speak the language mm -hmm. and even something as simple as getting on the underground or asking for directions you become stupid and childlike yeah. and that's not reflective of who you are yeah, exactly but 
point to make noises. Yeah, anymore. and then people treat you as if you are that. And and I thought, imagine if that you know, and that's you've chosen to go on holiday. You've researched that place. Imagine if you're in a place you didn't even know existed. You've ended up there through no wish of your own, no fault of your own. You're struggling to make a life for yourself. You're maybe visually conspicuous because of perhaps mm -hmm. the way you dress or the colour of your skin or whatever. You're in an area that probably the locals don't want to stay in, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. And and you're trying to make yourself understood and maintain some degree of dignity. And also maybe when the place that you left behind, figures of authority would be the sort of people you would avoid. Yeah. Because they're the ones that maybe did this to you and, and dispossessed you. So all the time, all I could do is my benchmark was think, okay, how would I feel if this was me? Yeah. And try and take it back to that, that human level. And if some of the facts and stuff are wrong, I mean, I never went to the Dab refugee camp. Mm -hmm. I just researched about watching documentaries, looking at UN reports, going online, reading people's blogs that mm -hmm. are maybe aid workers and things. That that was as close as I could, I could get to that. So there's probably stuff in that that isn't 100% true. But you, you can't get everything 100% mm -hmm. accurate. But and, and then I tried not to focus on too much of the... You know, obviously, with the police stuff, a lot of it was very procedurally based because yeah. I knew exactly what I was talking about. But with the dab, like, you know, I talk about the feeding stations and stuff and I saw a documentary about that, but that might not be what most of them are like. And somebody yeah. that was there might say, no, no, it's not like that now. But there's also things like there really were people there that have been there for maybe 16 years. Yeah. Which you, you think of it as a transit camp. So yeah. I wanted to get... Because people's homes. Yeah, I wanted to at least give voice to, to that sort of... You know, how must that feel that mm -hmm. you, you just... You must shut down. It must be like being in prison. But you don't know when your sentence is yeah, going to finish. Yeah, um, And it is... The, the thing which comes out of the book is, is it's character-driven. You know, all these terrible things happen. And... Um, but it's about the, the two central characters' um, different stories. And Deborah's yeah. stories is, is as fascinating in some ways as, as Abdi's. Um, how did you approach writing her character? Well, I've described her before as my comfy slipper character. <laughs> um, you know, Abdi was a... Obviously, I'm stretching myself. I'm not mm. a Somali man who has crossed continents and has converted from um, Islam to Christianity and, and has, you know, lost his wife. And I, I'm not that person mm -hmm. and never will be. Deborah is a sort of counterpoint to Abdi, but she's a, a Glaswegian woman, um, maybe slightly older than me, but, you know, it's like... I kind of knew I was in her skin a lot easier than yes, I was with, yeah. with, with Abdi's and I don't think I would have tempted the book had it only been from his point of yeah. view. But I think it to have that confusion and the growing realisation from both of them and, and the friendship, I think it needed the two of them to do that. Um, and Deborah becomes close to his wee girl as well. So there's a sort of her latent mothering instinct because she doesn't have kids comes yeah. out as well. And um, But I, I found her easier to write um, than Abdi. And... I don't think she's necessarily that sympathetic at the start. I don't think most of the characters I write are always sympathetic mm. to begin with, but no, there's, cause there's it's layers that comes off and and the, the, well certainly she's very book, buttoned up yeah. and, and and you know a bit of a nippy sweetie I think, yeah. and she's not quite sure why she's volunteering either, and she's a bit uncomfortable with it all. It's when it doesn't go as when things don't go as she expects it should do, yeah. then it's, she becomes defensive about yes, it. Yes, yes, and uh, doesn't quite takes a while to understand that you know because she's set out that we're going to do this and we're going to do that and that the other person might not be quite what they want to do or something well, like she that. she used to be a teacher, so she's approaching yeah. it as a kind of project. And, and I kind of... 
That's exactly what it is. Yeah, it's a project. Yeah. yeah. And he's not, he's a person. Yeah. And I, I suppose I, I, I was thinking as well about, you know, why, why do we volunteer? Because mm-hmm. there's a bit in the book where she, at the start, she sort of talks about when you decide to give to a beggar in the street mm-hmm. sort of thing. You, you know, and, and after I read it, I thought, maybe it's just me, maybe no one else does this. But a few people said, no, no, I think most people do that. You make a kind of judgment call. Are they going to use this money wisely? Or does he look like he's just a druggie and he'll just, you know, or he'll drink it all away? And that's terrible that you're doing. You either give or you don't. But so then, you know, with volunteering, like, what do you choose to volunteer? And why is it that particular thing? And what are you getting from it? Because, you know, that's, you can be as philanthropic as you like, but there has to be some... Everyone's what's in it for me, aren't they? So That's key in the book, I think. The, the question about why do we do, in inverted commas, good deeds? Why, you know, what do we get out mm. of it? I think... The, the the giving in the streets a really interesting one. There's in oh gosh, the changeling by Robin Jenkins. Um, one of the teachers sees um central character um giving lots of sympathy to this guy who's in the street and saying, Well, well, can I help you? And and whereas he says, No, what I did, I went by and I gave him a quid and that's what he wanted. He didn't want your sympathy. He didn't want your it almost you know, was a business exchange. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. He just said, you know, he wanted money and for all you're feeling sorry for him and this great show of uh uh, that all, he wanted the money and I, that always struck me that thing mm. yeah well why why do we uh, mm. go ahead and do these and then there's a character in it because I think Deborah sees herself as being quite liberal and, and you know and, and then understanding and all of yeah. these but then there's the big issue character yeah, Dexy Dexy who she really is like <laughs> loving to do with him you know and really and it's like I, you know exactly it's like you know I, I'm, I'm Fair to everyone. He's not the deserving like that. poor. That's yeah. it. That's I think it. I think you're right. And also, I, I think it's important when you're writing about potentially dark subjects that you have some humour and some light yeah. as well. And and you know, obviously, Dexy's not his situation isn't humorous, but he's he's, he's a typical Gallus Glasgow yeah. punter that's larger than life. And you know, all right, oh, how you doing? And and so he's there for a, a bit of light relief, I suppose, as well. But also, it's actually a chance for. Quite early on in the book, Abdi talks about how maybe one day he'll be able to move sort of generously and freely about the city the way that, that Deborah does mm-hmm. and, and almost give to other people. And, and his friendship with Dexy is almost the beginning of him not being the lowest of the pile. And, you know, he, he's trying to help Dexy and in some way. Yeah. yeah and, and, but that's like a, a, a boundary that's been eroded too far for Debs. And, mm-hmm. and I think there's maybe a bit of jealousy there too. You know, this is my refugee, you can't have him. Yeah, um, yeah, that does come across. You know, and, and I think, again, that's that's a kind of... But also... Think, be Scottish thing, isn't it? Like, you know, we're, we're, I am generous, but to a point, and, and then no more, and, you know... But also thinking that uh, Abdi can't kind of look after himself in this strange environment. Yes. And this man's going to take advantage of yes. him. Whereas, you know, in some ways, not that Debra takes advantage of him, but, you know, it's... As you she's say, getting what, what something, getting from something it. back from Absolutely, it. Absolutely, yeah. she has a, you know, a family that she doesn't have and, yeah. and a place and a purpose that she doesn't have. Um, and also there's tragedy, in, in, you know, I don't want to give anything away, but there's tragedy in, in her life as well, which she is mm. um, having to deal with. Yes, yeah, and, you know, I think that's that's why she begins to volunteer, because she's got an emptiness there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think, I think by the end of the book she has become totally maybe too much embroiled in 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 Abdi's life um but it's it's given her a new life as well and and it's it's I think at the start of the book I, I kind of in my head it was almost like she she was closing off to everything and and by the end of it she's 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 a different person she's very open and, and thinking about other avenues in her life yeah well I mean her life 
absolutely opens up. And, and it wouldn't have to be reliant on Abdi either yeah, anymore. Well, exactly. I hope. Yeah, that that's, exactly. Well, that seems to be that, that way. Yeah. Mm. Um, it's, I, I, I thought it was a terrific book, I have to say. I really loved it. Um, what are you planning on doing next, if you can tell us? Well, I'm, I'm writing something at the moment. that I finished the first draft, but I'm, I'm still working on it. I'm hoping over the next few months I'll finish that. Um, mm -hmm. And... It's set in a sort of fictional place, but it's really Argyle. Okay. <laughs> it's not. It's, it's fictional. Um, All the places and characters in this book. A wee, yeah. Entirely <laughs> incidental. Um, it's a, a sort of cuckoo in the nest story. It's a marriage that isn't going very well, and, and there's a, a third party um, who's not connected with either of them, but <clears throat> comes into the town and the relationship. Um, and it's sort of set against the backdrop of um, the village being threatened by a wind farm. Mm-hmm. And there's also, I'm trying to weave in a connection with Standing Stones because right. the place that I had in mind um, that w was a real place and I thought if I fictionalise it entirely it makes it easier because the geography doesn't matter then and yeah. I don't have to be as, but it has a lot of Standing Stones and, and it's, it's a very sort of atmospheric place and, and it was, you know, now everywhere you go in the country you've got wind farms sticking yeah, up yeah, and yeah. I think they're horrible. I know they're, they're necessary and everything but they, they just... They scream at you and they're swirly yeah. and and I thought, but you know, what are all those things? Those people come to look at they're they're human or yeah. uh, they're interference. They're things we stuck in the yeah. ground to harness power. Maybe who knows yes, what they are? Yeah, and I yeah. just thought, well, that's quite an interesting sort of juxtaposition. And if you had that all in the one place, um, so people are wanting to protect what used of to course, be there, yeah. but you know, things are changing and life has to change. Not, people have to change. Um, without the realms of possibility that folk will say, well, the wind farms don't knock them down, they've been standing there for... Yeah, yeah. So, and, and I, I kind of wanted to look a wee bit about Scotland on the cusp of, of the um, the referendum as mm -hmm. well and, you know, who knows how it's going to turn out, but I'm writing this book so slowly. <laughs> you might the result that. will be out before I finally finish the damn thing, but... I just I think it's a really interesting time in, in a nation's history that it's you're kind of poised on and, and it's going to be different anyway no matter mm -hmm. how the vote goes I think because yeah. oh yes well, not, well the next day will be a different country you know there's a big big pot of porridge being shoveled up here and, and, and people are going to want something different at the end of it whether the outcome is, is yeah. yes or no people that don't want independence will have huge repercussions mm -hmm. to, to live with if if don't get independence, there's still just like all these people that are yeah, well. fervently fired up and so I think that's interesting to look at as well. So are you, is it set in the run-up or is it set no, after? No, in, in the run-up. In the run-up, run yeah. 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 Um, because I, I like things that aren't definite, I like, yeah. I think that's interesting to write about as well, it's, it's, it's what ebbs and, and you know, I like books to finish that way as well that they're not it's not like wrapped up in the people it's mm -hmm. like oh okay then there's all these yeah, past now that, that can, so I think that's an interesting uh, time to write about as well when we were, we were talking earlier on about James Kelman I think that's what he does brilliantly almost like you just arrive halfway through some yeah. story and then leave again and you know you've no uh, idea what absolutely else. I think I, I love the idea of you know you're sitting on a, the top deck of a bus and you're sort of looking in a window it's as you lie. pass and it's like there's, there's a life frame yeah. there and all you've seen is some women stretching up to a cupboard or something but especially with short stories I think that, that's that's a perfect way to look at it it's just a, a snapshot of some every passing year. thing but with every novel you write too you've got to decide where you crop it and how you frame it and yeah. I like that sense of the person was walking onto the page before <laughs> and 
there they go carrying on afterwards and that's the books I like to read is the ones where you shut them and you think I wonder where where they go next yeah and I think again with the police ones that's probably where I got quite a few negative comments because I, I often left things very open ended and, and with crime fiction the whole raison d'etre is that you know, there's a resolution and justice prevails and, and, and you start the next one and, and my experience yeah. in reality was no an awful lot of the time it doesn't mm -hmm. so I just think that's that's an interesting and that's exactly the kind of books I like I like you know snapshots of people's lives I think there's enough drama in everyday life yeah. that you, you know you don't have to kind of overly yeah. uh, play up to it or anything yeah. like that um, I'm, and I think it's a really interesting time for people writing now coming up to this vote but I think you're right once, whatever way it goes, it's going to be fascinating to see how people react in terms mm. of books or music or, or you know, in general, uh, both uh, in one way or the other. I hope there is a reaction, though, because oh, nothing yeah. else, you know, I'm a, a child of the 80s, and mm. like, you know, socialist worker at the corner of, of the uni steps and things like that, and it seems to me that, that there's not so much political excitement about young people well mm. there is now I think this is yeah, hopefully generating that but there was definitely a sort of a lull and a, a um, people didn't seem to march and campaign and, and get agitated about things so much as as I remember in the sort of 80s and well, 90s think, so hopefully uh, this is maybe regenerating that I hope so I hope so I think certainly in, in, in Scotland after the, the you know the poll tax marches and things like that people really thought well no matter what I protest, what's the point what's yep, the point I think and you're that right. was the problem you know. and and now well there is a there is a point mm -hmm. to to sitting and thinking about what kind of country do I want to live in yeah. and and you know what what kind of country do I want my children to inherit and and what do I want my country to say to the world that this is who we are and this is what we think so and I think if no matter what the the vote ends up being. Um, if a huge amount of people turn out and vote, then, you know, and that in itself is a tremendous thing, considering recent voting figures. Absolutely. Yeah. If nothing else, I think that would be a yeah. brilliant, brilliant outcome. And, of course, being down in the borders, that would be very interesting for you down there. <laughs> You'll be right in the front lines of the battle of it all. <laughs> um, well, we're going to finish with our top five questions, which okay. I alluded to briefly, and um, this is Five questions mm. that we ask everyone that we have on, and they're very straightforward but often very difficult to answer. All right, because... thank you for giving me no preparation whatsoever. <laughs> Not at all. Um, and it's first of all, it's your favourite writer. It's basically top five favourite things. Okay. So favourite writer, who would that? Oh gosh, I've got I've got lots. Well, you um, can you say lots. Well, that's absolutely. Fine. No, if I had to pick one, I think probably in terms of beautiful language and sentence structure and and pure poetry as well as as storytelling ability i think it would be al kennedy ah excellent yes i've never read anything of hers that i don't like mm -hmm. i would agree with you i think she's an astonishing yeah. in different places um a book like paradise or day mm. um it's very diff different but just as you say very poetic and i've just finished reading on writing which is mm -hmm. a collection of her you know, sort of blogs and essays and and wonderful yeah. you know and I never ever get in touch with writers but I actually tweeted her to say how much I enjoyed that book um yeah because it, it really moved me and, and I found it really inspiring um and you know I think she's got a, a very individual and interesting sort of view and take on on the world yeah um, I would agree and she seems to be one of these writers that can't write 
No, <laughs> that's a terrible sentence. No. But she just seems everything she does seems to yeah. be crafted. The sort of fantastic. Janice Galloway's another writer like that. Yeah. That I can imagine her shopping list even. Yeah, just that's beautiful. Exactly you know, um, James Kilman as well. Uh, you know, I think his yeah. attention to, to detail and how I mean, Kieran Smith's Boy, I think, mm. is a fantastic book, and it, it's only through. Sort of subtle changes in language and things as the boy's growing up that you, you're even aware of the passing of time and yeah. how his interior monologue's changing yeah. and you know it's, it's like it's like a miniature portrait painter it's the scene beautiful. where he's following the um, orange walk from a child's viewpoint is mm -hmm. so beautifully done mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, yeah it's such a tremendous but I think there's real, there's real craft in all three Absolutely. of those writers that yeah. is uh, um, quite breathtaking at times yeah. and um yeah, there's a, a small A.L. Kennedy book on bullfighting, I think it's called. I haven't read that one. Um, and it was, she wrote it, it started out as a, a kind of general thing and she was going through writer's block and it's just mm -hmm. amazing, it's amazing. Um, well, to follow on from that favourite book then. Oh gosh. Narrowing it down even That is a her. really hard one. It's not fair not to give me any preparation. I know. That. If I'd said that, you'd have spent half the time going. I know. Oh, yeah, yeah, my book's okay, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know if it's my favourite. I think yeah. the one that I'm, I, I feel most strongly about, and maybe a bit of a cliche, but Sunset Song by Lewis Gossett ah, Gibbon. Yes. And I know everyone did it for hires. Um, did you like it when you did it? I for loved hires? it. I, I loved it. Because I did it for my hire, and yeah, was yeah. about it. And then I went back and studied it when I went to university, uh -huh. and. Just thought it was one of the most, and it is one of the most amazing books um, written in English. I think it's, it's fantastic. It's the first book I had ever read that I was aware of, of how you could use language to to sort of. I don't know how he does it, but but he mirrors the seasons, he mirrors the cadence of people's accents, mm. he mirrors the way the wind blows through the corn, yeah. you know, and it's it's a lilting, it's like melodic. Um, and you know the use of, of, of Scots and the Doric and things like that um, and also you know I read it as a 17 year old mm. girl and Chris yeah. Guthrie obviously I, I, and I finished off reading it um, we had gone that Christmas before my prelims uh, my dad's family had moved to South Africa and we'd gone to nice. visit them for the for, I hadn't ever met any of my cousins or anything um, and I finished reading it sitting in a sunny garden in South Africa and I think it compounded the sense of feeling Scottish and yeah. and there was this wistfulness and, you know, and I was homesick anyway and um, typical teenager, you know, I had, like, <laughs> I'm not getting up to see a hina at a water hole, why would I want to do that? Giraffes, I'm missing no parties at home. <laughs> um, you know, and I just remember the tears running down my, my, my cheeks. So I've got that kind of personal yeah, resonance about how it went when I read it, but, you know, having read it again older <sighs> as well, um, and it, it speaks of Scotland also and, and, you know, a, a way of life that's that's passing on, and it's it's just a beautiful book. I mean, to to have the efficiency, it does speak of Scotland, but in a small the, village again, and and unsensational, uh, yeah. and and the sort of pass. You know, the war is out there, and it affects people that come to the village, but you're not caught up in that, and it, it's you know, and it's about women's struggle as well. Yeah. Chris has these ambitions, but because she's the girl, she has to take her mother's place almost, and and. She doesn't get to, to go and be a teacher and, and she doesn't, you know, she doesn't fulfil her potential. And so I, I think all of those things are just very resonant. And you're right, it's, it doesn't sensationalise. There's no. a fantastic scene where uh, uh, our, our father is obviously um, a... a, 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 a dander's up, put it that way. Uh -huh. But the way it's written, 
Um, you have to kind of read it a yes. couple of times to understand yes. what is exactly being said. But isn't that true in real life as yeah. well? Because you would you would think, oh, I was imagining that it did, that didn't yeah. happen. He didn't mean that, yeah. wouldn't you? You would. Of course so you would. again, it's, it's his language choices and what he chooses to reveal and what he chooses to conceal that mirrors the character's experience, mm-hmm. which I just think is wonderful. Yeah, it is a tremendous book, and as I say, I. Maybe being a teenage boy when I read it, it was like, oh, that's rubbish. <laughs> but no, I've been back to it and I think it's amazing. Um, favourite film? I'm not a great film watcher, okay. to be honest. Um, I suppose every Christmas I like to watch The Bishop's Wife with David Niven and Cara right. Grant. I have it on DVD. It's an old black and white film and it's it's just one of these lovely heartwarming that I, you know I've I, never seen it I and mean, my no, dad everyone knows when it's it, a know? wonderful life yeah, but yeah, my yeah. it's the and bishop's wife from, oh, yeah. well you probably would like it it's basically David Niven is a, a bishop and he's praying for guidance um, he wants to build a cathedral and he's got to basically sweet talk all the rich old biddies in town to get money to build a cathedral and he's praying for guidance and then all of a sudden I never know if it's Carrie or Carrie Grant Carrie Grant I don't, I don't know see. appears behind him and he's obviously yeah. very handsome angel yeah yeah um, and I mean, it's quite comic as well because he thinks the angel's trying to get his clothes into his wife. Um, but but you know, by the end of it, basically the angel's sort of saying to him, "It's not about one big building; it's about lots of little." I think it must be set in the time of the depression, maybe. Right. You know, lots of little roofs rather than one big one. And what else could that money do and stuff? And I just I think it's a nice film. But as I say, I'm I'm sure there's better ones out there. I'm just not a I'm not a great film okay. TV watcher. Um, what about music? You a music fan? Um. Yes, I am. I mean, I was very, very much into music when I was younger. That was, mm-hmm. you know, every sort of weekend, we sort of gig going and stuff. Okay. I, I don't, I don't do that now. Don't gig now. What did I you don't see? I'm interested. Um, oh, I was. Um, it's before. I, I was sort of tail end of punk, beginning yeah. of goth, with a bit of new romantic. Like I had a secret shame of Spandau Valley that yeah, I went oh, to yes. by myself once to a gig because nobody uh-huh. else would come with me. But in the main, it was things like Susie and the Banshees, Bauhaus, um, Stiff Little Fingers, Killing Joke. Oh, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Night moves. I used oh, to go yeah. there all the time. Oh yes, night moves. Yeah, death trap. I think up, up a load of stairs above um, a Chinese <laughs> restaurant. But that's a, right. That's right. Yeah. Good night out. So it was. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So that, that. I mean, I still like that sort of stuff. And yeah. uh, even now, but I don't. Have, I don't have any. I mean, I'm not into classical music and like that. It's definitely more. And I find myself things I would said I would never do, like buy compilation albums. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. I'm singing along the car to the 80s great or the <laughs> 80s or something and, and you know at that time like Duran Duran oh hated them now you actually done yeah, damn good and sing along not so. bad tune at all yeah but that's because in your teens it's not just about the music oh well, it's, it's about image it's about image it it's well. about you know being part of a, a, a gang or a group and, and you kind of define Absolutely. yourself by what you're against yeah, as well yeah totally totally um, um, whereas now I don't really care yeah you don't care it's quite I think it's a really freeing thing when you get to single. It's all right. But I have never fun. ever sunk to watching those Saturday night reality, you know, no, music no. things. I think that that would just be like, yeah, absolutely. That's you. All your credentials are just gone. One thing covers of Duran Duran by people on reality shows is a different. Called Fernando or whatever. Yeah, just doesn't work. And finally, it is what. I suppose what made you decide to become a writer? What was the was the one book that uh, or one uh, something like that that you thought? Well, yeah, this is what I want to do. Um, well, I think a lot of the time they say you you write the book you want to read. Mm-hmm. So I think for me it was this sense of you know I've never seen a TV program or read a book about a cop that feels yeah. 
genuine. So I, I, I suppose that, but I've always loved I Write Book Festival. Mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. went to that before I wrote. Um, and I think that idea, and I think probably also doing the creative writing that's when I started going to I write as well um, yeah. so I was uh, sniffing around the periphery thinking I'd like to do that one day but I think going from writing as a as a quiet solitary thing that you did almost like a guilty secret mm-hmm. to being in a community with other writers yeah. so things like doing the, the writing course then you find out I mean I didn't really I knew about the Edinburgh Book Festival I didn't know that there was a book festival mm-hmm. in, in the Mitchell Library um, and going to readings and hearing people um, talk about writing as a an open an okay thing yeah, to do as yeah, opposed it to, have to be a secret, we, we don't talk say. about that can rights yeah um, and, and actually how the steps you can take to achieve that and, and how you hone a piece of work and, and that there's I mean my um, tutor on the writing course was Willie Maley yeah. who's a great friend to, to many writers and mm-hmm. he was very good at being pragmatic and saying nobody's going to come and, and wheak your manuscript out of your bottom yeah. drawer you know if, if you want people to read it you have to get out there and present it That's and, right. and so I suppose well, I suppose if I had to, to, to say anything, it would actually be the, the creative writing course. And I know people can be funny about doing creative writing courses because, the, you know, there's a sense that you're all being churned out like a sausage factory. Yeah. But I, for me, it, it was like a, a light going on. It was like being set on fire and just being made aware of, of one, the quality of, of contemporary Scottish writers mm-hmm. now writing yeah. that I didn't know about, ones in the past I didn't know about. And... And future outlets for me, I guess, as well. And did you... So you wrote before you did the creative writing course? I did, but... Just I, kind of a... a, a short solitary, stories, yeah. dabbling... I mean, I had to put in a, a portfolio for yeah, the course, sure. so I kind of tidied up things I've been working on. Um, it was actually... It was an article I had read when I worked at the council in the press office. We, we had the press cuts, anything to do with the city. We had to, you know, file every day from um, the newspapers. And it was an article in the Herald, and it was Anne Donovan mm-hmm. talking about... I think she'd be just won them... I can't remember if she won the Macallan before she did the, the course or not, but anyway, she'd either won a, a, right. a prize and was about to do the course or she'd finished the course and won mm-hmm. the prize, but she was talking about both things and I just thought, that sounds brilliant. Yeah. You, you actually get to go back to uni and get another degree and, and get to write. That, that sounds too good to be true. Um, and the Glasgow one, to be fair, has got a fantastic reputation and has proved, you know, has, 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 has many... You know, writers that have come out of it have gone on to do that. Yeah, well. it was it was brilliant. I really. It was I think it's interesting. I think that's what seems certainly in in, in Glasgow. Um, there is a fantastic community of writers, events. You know, there's um, maybe not as many readings as there used to be, but now mm-hmm. there's. I can think of three different um, literary journals that have started in the last few years. Yep. Things like that and. And young um, publishing houses yeah, as well, you know, exactly. like Freight do books as well as, as uh, journals and things. So there, there's definitely a sort of renaissance. Yeah, it's, it's a good thing to be doing it. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, Cam, thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure. It's thank been you. A pleasure having you here, and we'll be back next time. I think we're going to do another musical one, so uh, you can listen to that when it comes out. Cheers. <laughs>